This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, May 29, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's podcast, we talk with Renette Seno, candidate for California governor. But first, here's a question for you. Should we consider corporations as people? Should they have the same rights as people? Should they be able to put their massive dollars into political campaigns to support a candidate or an issue? Well, the Supreme Court apparently thinks so, even though citizens whom they're supposed to serve don't. Greg Coleridge, the national co-director of Move to Amend, asks you to join the organization and help pass a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. You can join Move to Amend and help create a movement toward a true democracy that serves all the people. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. So today we're talking with Renette Senum, candidate for governor in the state of California. Renette is a native of California, having grown up in the small historic town of Nevada City, situated in the Sierra Nevada foothills about 60 miles northeast of Sacramento. She was the mayor of Nevada City, but that's just one aspect of her life. She is an adventurer that did some amazing things, such as crossing Alaska on a solo trek in the dead of winter, the first woman to accomplish this feat. And she's also a community organizer. Renette is running as an independent in the race for California governor. She, the primary election is coming up on June 7th in just a few days. And by my count, there are about 26, no, not about, there's exactly 26 candidates on the primary ballot, including the incumbent Democrat, Gavin Newsom. Uh, the spread of candidates in the parties looks like this. There are seven independents, two from the Green Party, four Democrats, and 13 Republicans. California holds a top two open primary where voters cast ballots for any candidate and only the top two go on to the general election in November. Renette runs as an independent and she pledges to serve the people over the party. Her emphasis is issues, her, she emphasizes the issues that matter most, including homelessness, crime, education, housing, constitutional rights, and healing our land. So Renette, welcome to Democracy on the Move and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's absolutely fabulous to be here, Dan. Thanks for the invite. Good. Well, you've been a community organizer um, probably for about 20 years now, I believe. And you've been Okay. And you've been on the uh, city council and occupied the mayor's office in Nevada City. You've traveled the world and taken on some great adventures. And now you're running for governor of California, which is the fifth largest economy in the world. Uh, you obviously bring a lot of real world experience with you on the campaign trail. So um, so I want to know, so I, I mean, I know this is a, a big open-ended question here, but what are the biggest issues you see out there that compel you to put on the boxing gloves and step into the political arena? That's actually a great way of putting it because <laughs> I, I did get elected for my third term on city council and I was mayor when COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And I was actually stepping down uh, from my position as mayor, ready to take my oath for my third term. And instead I read my resignation letter because of what I was seeing behind the scenes uh, I had seen a shift in the power dynamic, in the communications, the outreach, how we considered uh, issues, 
and and I was also seeing um, that was unusual out of my you know many many years of being in government um, on the local level, and I was also very concerned with what I was seeing around the leadership in California or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually, in the summer of 2020, before the recall, I was watching astutely, as you can imagine, uh, after I stepped off the council to see the leadership rise in California and take a, you know, a, a reign uh, and a control over these, these issues that are not being let off a cliff, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't happening. And and I had people actually asking me to run because I was being interviewed on certain shows and they saw me and, and I was one of the few leaders actually just questioning the narrative and questioning the leadership and, and asking, actually asking questions saying, mm -hmm. is, are there other tactics we can take other things we could do besides the <clears throat> current trajectory. <clears throat> right. And so after not seeing that type of leadership, I, I decided to run, but I did run with two requirements, um, which makes my campaign extraordinarily different. And, uh, and that is the foundation of, of my work. And it's also been a foundation of my community work, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm just um, going from the micro to the macro and scaling it up. And, and I, I missed that, though. What are those two conditions that you said? Two conditions are, first and foremost, no party affiliation. Mm -hmm. So even I'm not even really an independent. I'm, I'm no party preference. So there is an American independent party. So then sometimes that confuses people. Mm -hmm. So I'm no party affiliation. I've been pretty much solidly no party affiliation for a decade. This is nothing new to me. Mm -hmm. um, I do not work within either left or right. I try to bridge both and, and also call both out, both sides. So it's the no party affiliation. And the other was my foundation, which is a seventh generation principle which is every decision we make today should serve seven generations from now. And the reason why that was so important to me as, as a community activist, as an as a elected official and mayor and you know fourth generation Californian, um, I think we can do better. And one mm -hmm. of the things I've been asking for over the years is where are we going? Where yeah. are we headed? What's the goal? And I was asking that with COVID and I've been asking that as a council member or mayor and, and is, is just a, a person on the planet. And the seven generation principle, which was um, what most people don't know about its history, Dan, is that the our forefathers were inspired by the six nations of the Iroquois Confederacy. That is one of the, the, the inspirations for our constitution. But um, in fact, Ben Franklin spent a lot of time with the Iroquois for seven years off and on. And, and, um, and in the Iroquois, when we, we did construct the, the constitution, they said there's some, uh, you know, a fatal flaw. And what was missing of this beautiful vessel was this like anchor in the compass. The mm -hmm. compass being that seven generation principle, the anchor, which is what the Iroquois were pointing out, was that we weren't including that. And that was actually the, the council of, 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 of grandmothers and, and making sure the decisions passed for them. Why? Because they were the ones, they were the elders who were connected to the, 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 the earlier generations. So they would fold that wisdom mm -hmm. and intelligence and understanding into the decision making of today to ensure for the next seven generations. It was a really good formula and it worked for thousands of years. And and we did not include that. Instead, we actually replaced the, the council grandmothers with the Supreme Court jur you know, uh, judges, which is not a bad idea. It's just a different set of measurements sure. uh, of how you get to that table um, as a judge versus a, a, you know, a grandmother. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to come at it very differently. And my objective was not to play by the same you know, set of rules or on the same game, game board of, of normal politics. My objective was to create a whole different game board and a diff different set of, of uh, construct rules, you know, goals. And that's how this campaign is. So this campaign actually supersedes uh, election cycles and politics. It's about creating a, a cultural shift within California itself. Okay. Well, you cited as one of your heroes was Buckminster Fuller. Bu Buck no. Buckminster Fuller. Sorry about that. And uh, one of the quotes I thought was very interesting, which pertains to what you just said, was uh, to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. 
I like that. Right. And it's happening exponentially. We're seeing it everywhere, you know. Um, and what I'm seeing what leadership is today is it's it is about creating the new reality, right? As the old reality is definitely dying or being even usurped, I would say. So it's a it's a combination of helping establish a new reality that's mm -hmm. based on a different set of principles, while at the same time uh, holding the hand of this other dying economy, but also uh, pushing back from its encroachment. I'm right. There's a lot of threats that are facing we're facing today, and so the objective is twofold: is to allow this new paradigm, this new reality, this new future to germinate while stopping the the aggressive encroachment from outside uh, outside forces or even forces with nefarious, you know, uh, intentions. And so that's how I lead. Is my and I, and I have a you know almost a 20 year history of being able to push back, call out corruption, get in the ring. Uh, you know, you know, get my boxing gloves on, but I've also been able to go out there and be what I call a, call a solutionarian, where I go out there and I find the find creative solutions to our problems and and create the room to allow them to to grow. And mm -hmm. so that's what I see California really needs, and that's really an unusual style of leadership. Um, it is I hate saying outside the box, but it is outside the box, and uh, and we need that. And I'm not seeing that almost anywhere in our leadership today in California or the United States, for that matter. Sure. You talk about encroachment of outside forces, and then you mentioned corruption. So could you give us some examples of what you're up against here? Sure. Well, you know, like you have telecom industries. I've been fighting this one for years coming in. I really gotten involved in fighting against 5G, the millimeter wave. Uh, I'm totally supportive of broadband, especially when it's, you know, uh, the line is to your house. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the millimeter wave I've been fighting against, and we're having telecoms coming in, and they've gone to Sacramento, and they're ev eviscerating local control and authority over what's called a public right of way. Mm -hmm. And I've fought this tooth and nail, and sometimes I've won. Um, but they've really been pushing themselves during the pandemic, and we've seen a massive, aggressive uh, undertaking to put 5G everywhere without the proper environmental impact reviews um, and you know public consideration and comments. Um, we also have Pacific Gas and Electric, who is now saying, oh, sorry, we've got to turn off your power for days at a time, sometimes destroying businesses. They never reopen their doors. This has happened over and over. And oh, by the way, you know, we're sending all of our profits to our shareholders in Wall Street rather than hardening and improving upon our infrastructure and our grid or restoring the forests they're drying up. Um, you know, so uh, we also have, you know, um, corporations, our own county coming at us uh, with, um, you know, sphere of influence. You know, there's this kind of gray area around our city limits, like all city limits, that it has this, it's an intersection where what even the, the county is doing some kind of work, we have some say because of the impacts on our town. Well, you know, that's been, uh, that was being threatened over the years. Um, and then we have, you know, external threats where now we're in a fire danger. And instead of the money being uh, actually put into action that's been allocated for cleaning our forests, the 400, the, the billions of dollars that have been dedicated just disappear from our yeah. own government. So, yeah, how did this happen? Mismanagement and mismanagement and go ahead, go ahead, sorry. essentially. And, and yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, so, how, did, how did that happen though? How did, how did 400 billion dollars? Uh, was that four hundred billion dollars or four hundred? I think four hundred billion. I'm, I, in fact, yeah. I'm I'm gonna back on that. I can't remember if it's four hundred billion, but mm -hmm. it's it's an extraordinary sum. I could Google it here actually. So let me just check that for you. But yeah, um, a, a certain amount of money, large amount of money. Though, essentially, yeah. what happened is that even our own government, you know, when we do our own uh, certified audits, didn't catch this. It was it was basically NPR that caught uh, this misallocation and disappearance of funds. Essentially, that we had hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'll get the exact number for you. Um, and and yet we haven't seen it. And so, where's the money going? 
Yeah. Where's all the, where the homeless? Where's it going? You know, and so there's just this massive milking that is going on in the state of California. And when people talk about not being able to afford to live here and the cost of living and the taxes, well, we're being overtaxed. We're mm-hmm. not seeing the fruits of that, right? Yeah. And and being so heavily taxed means what? It means your cost of living goes up. And so what we need to do is massive, massive certified financial operational audit on everything state-related, starting with the, the biggest spenders, and then work your way down. And once we can reduce the overtaxation, because it's just out of control. Mm-hmm. Once we do that, everything else will start be, to begin to lower as well. And there's other some other economic factors that we can also deal with too to, to assist California in the economy. So, so you, you, uh, t- you talk a lot we're about- We're not seeing that conversation in, in Sacramento. We're not seeing that conversation at all with yeah. our leaders. How does that happen though? I mean, in terms of, of I mean, businesses, uh, I know it's getting to a point in our country now where business is sort of like running the government. Um, is this happening in California as well? Is this going through like uh, lobbyists or, or pay, right. well, pay the, to play? The, those type the, of things? the gist of the matter is, um, and this is one reason why I'm running with a decline to state or no party affiliation, mm-hmm. is because <clears throat> in 2010, there was a Supreme Court decision called Citizens United versus the Federal uh, Elections Commission. And essentially what they decided, the Supreme Court, was that uh, corporate money, corporate dollars are seen as a form of free speech. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they can send in hundreds and millions of dollars to uh, campaign finance into you know certain candidates. And, and it's basically unlimited. They can just keep pouring these dollars in. Well, basically ever since then, right? Because they're seeing mm-hmm. corporate dollars as a First Amendment right for corporations. It's called corporate personhood. And that, that should not even exist. Right. So what's happened is big dollars, big corporations have infiltrated the elections uh, throughout the whole United States. And now what you're seeing are elected representatives elected by big corporations. They are serving big corporate donors. They're no longer serving the donors. And I would even go as far to say now that that's even in the decline to state, I've been declined to state. It's never been looked at seriously, but we do have you know a candidate here in California who's now receiving big dark money, mm-hmm. big corporate donorship. And um, and that's because what's happened is that the big corporations have realized, ooh, okay, we can't just pour money into the, the Democrats and Republicans. We actually have to get at least one candidate in the declined to state and, and infiltrate that now, mm-hmm. right? That leg of, of, of elections, that sector of elections and candidates and, and try to and, and prop them up and so they can ensure that no matter which way you go, you're always voting for big money candidates. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of interesting how the uh, you talk about uh, corporate personhood, which was which was part of the uh, spinoff from the Citizens United decision yes. back in 2010. But you know, when you look at what Ron DeSantis did recently with Disney in Florida, it's like uh, now uh, Disney decides to voice an opinion about some of the recent decisions he made about the LGBTQ community. And uh, suddenly now he's cutting them off and everybody's saying, well, wait a minute, you know, the the Citizens United decision said that corporations do get uh, free speech. So what's this all about? Well, but you know, the thing is, this is that it's it's our responsibility to uh, not abide by unjust, unconstitutional rules and laws. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, corporations are not human beings. They are not people. Yeah. And I disagree with, with, with corporate personhood. And if you want to change something, right, and change something immediately and, 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 re, and, and, and you know, um, redirect the, the course of direction we're going in, it would be to uh, overturn Citizens United. Yeah. And I think that people need to have a real serious conversation. And that's been a big cornerstone of my whole entire 
campaign is educating people about Citizens United. And when they're wondering what's happened to representative government, it is dead. When I have people say to me, Renette, our government would never do something like that. I'm like, you're right. Your government probably wouldn't. A real government wouldn't. Right. But that government is dead. Yeah. It's been usurped by big corporate money. So you're out. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're right. Your government wouldn't, but your government does not exist any longer. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Move to Amend? We do quite a bit of work oh, yes. with them. Yes, yeah. it's very big here in my town. Oh, okay, good, good. I want to make sure you're you're aware of them because uh, they're they're on the same uh, on the same wavelength oh. as you in that area. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm very supportive of them. There are lots of the same folks behind it. They're awesome and they're spot on. Great. So let's talk about some of the other issues that turn up on your website. Um, homelessness, for example, uh, this is this is a chronic issue. Um, I used to live in California for many, many years in the L.A. area, and uh, now I'm living in the St. Louis area near Missouri. And both places, I see lots of homeless people, and it seems like this problem has been with us for a very long time. And um, a few places, I think, like San Antonio, Texas, I understand they're they're setting up some sort of a an area of you know they've allocated some acreage for homeless people to uh, to pitch their tents and, and get some services. But for the most part, this really hasn't been solved at all. So what are your what are your perspectives on that? Well, uh, um, you know, it has not been solved. And I just, you know, I try to stress to people that look at, I feel like there's been uh, acts of war committed against the United States and California for some time. Most of it is a silent war. Uh, it is the art of war. Um, you know, you destroy a society from the inside out through overtaxation and cost of living, right? Inflation. Mm -hmm. And you also by by dismantling the well-being of the, the, the center of cities and communities. And so by having a lot of people on the streets, on the sidewalks, in crises, it's not a homeless issue. It's a humanitarian crisis. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. This goes beyond just some homelessness. This is a whole different level. It's a humanitarian crisis. And Americans and Californians are very good at immediate crises, but we're really not that great with the chronic crises. We um, have learned how to turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. And so we have elected officials, again, who are serving big money. And just like we're seeing uh, the farmers being targeted around water, uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, like the vanguards and, and the black rocks and black stones uh, targeting a residential, you know, home ownership. Um, th these are all acts of war. And so with the homelessness, it could be solved. The only reason it's continuing is because of the leadership or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. The leaders are happy with us. They're getting something out of it. It's called disaster capitalism. There's a lot of people making money off the backs of some serious suffering and crises, mm -hmm. while at the same time, simultaneously, it destroys the fabric of community within each state and sends people fleeing. And from what I can tell, those in power want people to flee from California, whether it's the price and cost of living, taxation, taxation, fires, you know, um, job, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. They're trying to get us out of California. So some other entities, very powerful, you know, wealthy entities can come in here and scoop this state up pennies on the dollars. That's what's happening. And homelessness is being used as a weapon for that very same thing. Mm -hmm. So what do we do about it? Well, as governor, the first thing that I would do is I would declare a state of emergency around this, this humanitarian crisis. I would then actually loosen the building codes so we could actually allow a lot of the commercial businesses that are now empty be mm -hmm. retrofitted for mental health facilities, which we're very short on, have been for many, many years, yeah. for drug and alcohol rehabilitation, for interim low-income housing. And then what we do while we're doing the retrofitting is we actually connect with the continuum of care uh, commissions and committees throughout the state of California, connect with the shelters, we look at their data, we do a triage on the street, we identify those who are most at risk to themselves and the businesses and surrounding residents, and we get them off the streets and we get them the wraparound services they need. They're in crises, and there's a multitude of different ways we can do that. 
Then what we do is we also identify those individuals who are just down on their luck. Mm -hmm. They've lost their apartment, their home, they're living in their car, their RV, they lost their job, they have, uh, they have, you know, physical reasons, they can't work, whatever. We also get them off the streets. And what we do is we help identify what direction they need to go in life, what job skills they'd like to have, and we get them the reskilling while we also establish a place for them to live. Um, so this is basically, and I say to people, this is a, this is a crisis. These individuals will never get off the streets without some assistance. This is not about a handout. It is a hand up. Mm -hmm. and, and at this point in time, they're, they're going to be generationally on the streets unless we do something about it now. Yeah. This problem will only continue to fester. It will not get better on its own. Yeah. And it's been on its own for a number of years now. And it, we've seen that. It's not gotten any better. Yeah. yeah. So um, we, this, you were obviously from um, Nevada City, and it sits in the middle of this, uh, well, I guess at the foothills of the Sierra Nevada uh, mountains, which is very dry at this point. Fire hazards are very large in California. Um, and one of the points in your website has to deal with forest fires. And so what's, uh, what's going on out there right now, or what could you be doing differently than, uh, than what's going on right now? And why are these forest fires continuing to burn and becoming increasingly bad over the years? Right, right. So um, so basically, um, we have massive forest mis mismanagement. That's very clear. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything from the Bureau of Land Management to the state forest to the federal forests, um, just not managed. <clears throat> and this is because of how forestry has changed. And we used to you have these type of cultural burns that were the healthy kind of fires. That has not happened and now we're in a complete mess. Um, so first and foremost, these are one of those shoot for the moon programs we should design for California. I've actually gone to Newsom, I've gone to some other big state reps saying, hey, can you guys create a shoot for the moon? Can you create an audacious plan to restore our forests? Make it seem impossible, but put into place some of the programs or expand some of the programs um, and to assist us in that and actually set a goal, like a real lofty goal. Mm -hmm. And of course it's met with absolutely nothing, no. no response at all. So what we need to do is look to other successful programs. Um, we have millions and millions of acres that are absolutely drying up. I've never seen the forest as bad as I do this year. We should look to, we have one great example called the Rio Grande Water Fund. The Rio Grande Water Fund, water funds have been around for decades, but they're really gaining popularity in America. And this beautiful model with the Rio Grande Water Fund was, it's, it was established in, when in 2011, they had catastrophic fires. And mm -hmm. afterwards they had a catastrophic rain and just this deluge of ash and debris went down into the Rio Grande for 40 days, choked off industries and you know um, municipality uh, water treatment plants. And just, it, it, it wreaked hundreds and hundreds of millions of damage. Mm -hmm. So they said, well, we're never going to do this again. So what they did is they established a water fund. And what they did is they used a type of, you know, GIS, you know, satellite imagery. And they looked at different factors like the humidity of the forest, the steepness, the uh, underbrush, um, you know, the, the type of soil, all these different things. And they actually identified out of hundreds of millions of acres, they identified and prioritized the most vulnerable areas of these headwaters. Mm -hmm. Then what they did is they went downstream to all these different businesses and, and, and you know, municipalities and counties and industries and said, hey, will you invest upstream in these headwaters? And what we'll do is it will cost you thousands of dollars, you know, in investment versus millions of dollars in damage. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we, we were going to actually go out there and through cultural burns, you know, hand crews, clearing, yeah. grazing. What we're going to do is actually 
start clearing out and go from like 3000 acres, you know, square acres a, a, a year to, you know, tens and tens of thousands of, of square acres a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what we're going to do is we're going to actually go out there and, and start, you know, you know, jumpstarting you know, the restoration of the forest. And now they've done that. They're clearing out tens and tens of thousands every year, um, thousands percent in, increase. And they now have had fires in those restored forests, and they're the healthy fires. They're mm-hmm. the kind of fires that restore the forests okay. uh, and don't create this, this, you know, this incredible catastrophic areas that's just scorched. We yeah. can do the same. And what's so beautiful about this is that we have we have mechanisms that are not being utilized, and I can get into it later to jumpstart the economy, to jumpstart the restoration, to jumpstart job creation, to actually um, invigorate and inspire the young people who feel like their lives don't matter. Many of them straddled with, uh, with you know, student loan debt, living at their parents, feeling like they don't matter, that they don't have a purpose. And all I can say is every single person out there in California, we need you, all hands on deck. And so what we need to do is jumpstart the economies um, through restoration and healing. And we have the ability to do that by modeling after this Rio Grande River Fund, as an example. Okay, that's that's interesting. Is I I know that like um, it was quite a few years ago. Well, actually, it wasn't that long ago when uh, then President Trump talked about raking the forest, and he took a lot of trouble over that um, it, it, because he had quoted I think the leader of Finland saying something like they rake their forests out there. Um, and I'm not a big fan of his, but I do have to admit he had a good point there. He did say there is no reason for these massive, deadly, and costly uh, forest fires in California except that forest management is so poor. And he's, he said the billions of dollars are given each year with so many lives lost, all because gross mismanagement of the forests. So does that sound like something that, uh, that sounds pretty similar to what you're saying right now. It's just well, he's spot on, except for he didn't accept responsibility for the federally owned forests. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no offense, but he should have actually modeled to us. He had the opportunity mm-hmm. to actually model for us good, intelligent forest management and that didn't happen and i'm so tired of people slinging words back and forth each other i i believe we have to find the common ground and and again address these issues through the eyes of the seventh generation and and model it go out there and model it and i'm tired of the platitudes and that was a platitude and it didn't help any he should have he had the opportunity to say you know what i'm going to allocate this many funds we're going to do some pilot programs and we're going to actually show you how to do it yeah yeah and that's the kind of leadership i want to see across the board action action behind the words yeah. So, you know, it was just, it was just empty platitudes. He could have done the same. The forest management, the U S forests are just absolutely horrific. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had the opportunity to model and he's not, and I want to see some good models, world models out there. Okay. Okay. And you touched upon the cost of living and, and jumpstarting the economy and so on. And uh, one of the ideas you came up with on your website is that you wanted to cut California corporate and personal income taxes and reduce regulations um, this sounds somewhat conservative, but how does that translate into uh, into adjusting the cost of living for the average resident in California? Well, it is conservative, and that's why I'm, I'm a you know a no party affiliation because I, I be bought back and forth, right? I'm mm-hmm. I'm neither nor. So, um, well, you have to understand is we whatever whatever we are taxed, who pays for that in the end run? It's it's the customer, right? It's the person who's trying to build something or buy something, mm-hmm. and we are so overtaxed that I mean, just look at gas tax for yeah. for God's sake, it's huge, it's the biggest in the state. So we could reduce that by a lot, you know. And and what happens? That means that well, that means more people are going to have more money in their pockets to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. And so you know, so it's, it's a combination. Um, you know, it's a dual prong approach, which is reduce the the taxation and be more effective with the money that we actually do tax with, right? So whatever money we collect, we need to be more efficient and wise and we're completely 
irresponsible. There's no transparency. There's no accountability. We need to bring that back. So we're taxed less, mm -hmm. but we actually spend more intelligently, right? Yeah. We allocate more intelligently and, and we're, we're accountable for that money. Uh, if we do that, we're going to see, I mean, how many times are we taxed in California? You got the income tax, you got the capital gains, you got the, you know, the sales tax. You have yeah. every tax, I mean, just to go fishing, to build your house, to put a water heater in for your car. I mean, yeah. The question is, what are we not taxed over? Yeah. Well, and who has to pay for that? Well, in the end, that, that comes out of your pocket. I mean, you know, if it's a business or a contractor, in order for them to pay those taxes, they got to charge you the money to get it to, to pay the tax. That's how it goes. So, yeah. Yeah. so that's what we have to stop. That to me is a complete financial hemorrhage. And and even though we do in the state of California, we do our own you know our own certification. It's not third party. And and the fact that we had NPR. Uh, here actually identified the fact that Newsom uh, was not, you know, actually spending the, the the money allocated towards the forest management properly. Well, why didn't our own, why didn't our own, you know, uh, Attorney General see that? Why didn't our own Secretary of State see that? Why didn't our own government see that? Right? Yeah. Uh, why did they not see this in the numbers? It's like because well, the foxes guard the hen house, and so we need to actually get external third parties, certified auditors in to actually look at this and address the biggest spenders. First, and and once we do that, we'll start seeing the you know the reduction of, of our taxes is also the reduction of our of you know a cost of living. And there's other things too. You know, I it's really mm -hmm. fascinating. The last few years have taught me a lot, and I used to greatly support the idea of universal basic income. Well, basically, we've had a um, we've had a, a, a dry run of the UBI these last two years. And what does yeah. it cause? It's caused people not to work. It's caused businesses to shutter. I've traveled yeah. across the states. I can't tell you how many places I've been where I walk into a cafe and there's just the owner or maybe one staff, like nobody wants to work. They're all staying home. And um, and so I always thought the universal basic income would be really good, you know, just take care of the basic needs. But now I realize what it does is it it, it de-incentivizes uh, people working and 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 yeah. they just kind of stay home. And, and even right now they're not getting money. I'm like, how is everyone surviving? So I don't support that. The I used to totally support raising the minimum wage, but now I've talked to so many people up and down the state mm -hmm. and either they have to charge more for their product or a lot more, or they have to cut back on the time and the hours that their employees work and make them work even harder in a shorter amount of time Yeah, to make the difference. I'm like, okay, so that's not working. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm convinced that uh, a lot of the a lot of the assistance money that was sent out for COVID was really somewhat at least somewhat responsible for the inflation that we're seeing today because it's putting more money into circulation, and you know guys like me, I have a job. I I work as a software developer and I get paid pretty well, so I have a job. But yet they still sent me this money, and <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this, right? So, so uh, you know, I I gave a lot of it away, but the thing is. You know, a lot of people go out and buy, you know, big screen TVs with it or something like that, which drives up demand, which, uh, you know, it, and then at the same time, I get hit with a supply crisis. So this causes inflation. And it was, I guess, one of the things I was wondering about, too, when you when you talk about uh, reducing taxes, which would put more money in people's pockets with today's inflation, wouldn't that be uh, maybe not the right timing for that type of idea? Well, that's a whole other topic. And that's that's the Federal Reserve, mm -hmm. the central bank. They need to go away. The dollar began losing its value the day it was it was printed, right? And, yeah. and you know it's it's gone down the drain. So we need to talk about the centralized bank, the Federal Reserve. Um, yeah, we have a fiat currency that's losing value every single day, and we need to all have a, a very serious conversation about the fact that this is not a government entity. It does not have our best interests at heart, <clears throat> mm -hmm. and um, and that is very much the root of a lot of this. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a big it's a big issue. And I think most people over the last few years have become very aware of the Federal Reserve, who it really is, who they really represent and why, uh, you know, there, we have inflation. Yeah. And that, but that's a bit out of California control. Right. I mean, I can advocate and we can educate, but that's not so much in our control. Taxes are yeah. uh, expanding what we have called California, the infrastructure bank that most people don't know about. Expanding that intelligently is another thing we can do. That's in the purview and the power of, of myself as a governor and, and our state legislators and our voters. If they mm. want to do a, you know, a, a ballot initiative, a, a referendum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, let's, let's go back to uh, transparency. You talked about government transparency before, and I. And you also mentioned Gavin Newsom it looked like he diverted some funds that was supposed to go into forest management into uh, into other places in California, and right. nobody really knows where that money went. And I remember reading about that on your website there, and I'm like, I can't believe this would happen. They'd actually, you know, put a uh, propose a tax, an ex- additional tax to people for this ostensible purpose of helping the forest and then that money just doesn't show up in in helping the forest it shows up in other areas so um i get what you're saying about government transparency and you talk about having annual audits um why not do something like every day an audit or or you know close the books at the end of every day there's big companies like GoDaddy. i understand they do that every day they actually close your books every day and they have they have their numbers at the end of every day and I realize audits are very expensive, but you can at least keep things updated on a day-to-day basis and keep that transparent for people. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. I, I think that that's spot on. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, once we catch up and, you know, each respective agency, committee, commission, you name it, uh, that gets audited, then maybe what we do is once we catch up and we we get to the, the bones of the matter um, and we reel it in, um, and we reduce the taxation or the money they're getting, then we can, you know, do the day-to-day transparency. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the thing is, is, I know as an elected official that information and knowledge is power. Yeah. And I have seen a very clear difference between when the public would come to the mic during public comments and the difference between their power when they were informed and they understood what was going on, they were powerful. Yeah. When they didn't know what was going on, they were easy to steamroll. And and I always liked, and it's actually the job of elected officials, by the way, to keep their constituents informed. That's mm-hmm. our job. Yeah. And it doesn't happen anymore. In fact, it's just the polar opposite. And so many times I would actually be very highly engaged and involved with my community during certain ordinances or agenda items. And and the you know, the, the media would get mad, the the city would get mad. Like, you know, you're interfering. I'm, like, I'm not interfering, I'm informing. Yeah. yeah. And if I don't give this information to the public, they won't know what's going on and we're going to steamroll them. And so I was highly controversial because I didn't play by the rules. The rules are keep them in the dark yeah, and don't get them involved. And that's what's happened with government at every level, including the state levels. So I don't, I don't, I'm not that way at all. And I have a long track record and somewhat controversial because I don't play by those rules and the powers that be don't like that. So they, they do try to attack me a lot and go ahead and attack. I know where I stand. And I also know that the more informed people are, and, and I've been also doing that over the last two years around COVID and what's been happening. I've been trying to keep people informed, giving them information they're not getting, giving yeah. them ideas and concepts and possibilities and solutions that they're not even hearing about. And yeah. so that's, to me, this is one of the biggest, most important aspects of, of creating transparent government is simply keeping people informed real time. Yeah. We have the ability to do that now, real time. Yeah. I mean, we have the technology. We've had it for a long yes. time, so why not start yeah. using it, right? Right. So there's something that um, I know you feel passionate about. We've been skirting around this issue a little bit. It's, that's the two-party system, the duopoly. And this is actually one of my favorite topics. And 
I used to just historically, I used to run a podcast for this uh, party called the Alliance Party. And in that capacity, I got to talk with some really big names like Ralph Nader, Teresa Amato, uh, Lee Drutman, Catherine Gale. And these people, they all have direct experience doing battle with the duopoly and, and, and writing extensively about it. And the most practical advice I found was in a book by Catherine Gale and Michael Porter. It's called The Politics Industry. I don't know if you heard about that book or not. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. And it, it's, the subtitle is How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy. And they recommend a few key changes in that book that we could do in our government and in, in, in our election system that will open up the government and make it truly a multi-party system. And so I don't want to go into detail because I could, I could spend an hour on that book. Um, but I'd like to hear some of your ideas on this topic. How to get rid of our of our destructive two party system out there? Well, you know, in its originality, I don't know if the two party system was really a terrible idea. It's just been completely corrupted. So for me, it's more like getting rid of corruption. Mm-hmm. And I think they have to send a message very clearly um, to the two party system that we're not going to do their bidding or play by their rules as long as they're corrupted by big money mm-hmm. and send them the message. And, you know, you need to clean house. Otherwise we're not playing with you. We're not playing in your sandbox, but in the meantime, it just might be something that's completely outdated. So, you know, this is the thing is that it does create a duality. It creates like you're there, I'm here. And this is what the seven generation principle is about. Mm-hmm. Because I've learned that even with people I've differed and I've been in the ring with and I've been on the opposite side of them, the opposite team, that we can come around, we can come together around a common cause. Mm -hmm. We can drop our differences, our caustic words, and our weapons. And so really the best thing to do is say, look it, we don't care what your political standing is, your, you know, what party you align with, your color, your creed, your religion, gender, we don't care. But the objective is, is to make decisions based upon the seven generation principle. And this allows us to drop the divide and focus on a common goal. And also what I love about it, and I've been saying this, like the Tea Party Patriots actually started here in Nevada City, California. And I was talking to the, the grandfather mm-hmm. of a guy, Mark, who started it. And, and we came together many, many, like a, well over a decade ago, which was an unusual friendship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were talking about the Tea Party. And I said, look, I understand why you guys want smaller government. I said, the ironic thing is, so do I. I'm not into big government, but I am to a high standard. Right? right. And at that time, I wasn't so keyed into the seventh generation principle, but I was keyed into the future of our children and grandchildren, like what it was looking like. And so I had asked him, I said, what's your biggest concern about the future? He goes, it's, it's you know, it's, or what's your biggest concern? He goes, my children's future. I said, well, that's, that's my worry too. Mm-hmm. And so my whole thing was like, look at what we could do is come together, whether you're conservative or liberal, we can come together and say, look at, let's create smaller government. So it's not meddling in our business, not taxing us fees, fines, this and that, right. Overregulating our lives, but let's have smaller government. But the caveat is the seventh generation principle. What we try to do is lead with in mind that seventh generation, whether you're elected official or just going in your day, day-to-day decision-making. And that to me is, is what can, can bring an end to the divide or the two-party system. So it's always about looking towards that shore of the seventh generation. So you might be over to the, my right in a little boat or over to the left, you have different currents, different headwinds, different everything, different weather weather patterns, right? It's not about me to dictate to you how to tack your boat and sell it back and forth. Mm -hmm. You'll do it according to your specific respective, you know, space. But what I need to do is have confidence that you are going to do the best you can to continue tacking towards that shore, just like I am. And it's, it's, it it makes the differences melt away. It makes the walls drop. Mm -hmm. And, and this, and it is, and this is what's amazing, Dan, is that 
and, and this is really important, okay? This is mm -hmm. really important. This is a playing field that most people don't realize they're in, is there is a rule of thumb that I agree is true. And I've experienced it on the campaign trail. And that is, is that 80% of people agree on 90% of the issues. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that seems, that seems extraordinary, but it's true. I'm like, no, 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 it's true. There's just basic things that most people want. And then other than that, like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. And so what's interesting though, is there is a manufactured divide. How does it continue to be perpetuated? Well, let me, let me explain with what I'm seeing firsthand. So we have a primary election coming up in California. It's, and it's, it's it's June 7th and, and, and every 22 million, 22 million of the registered voters have received their ballots. Um, and that's a whole other topic. Uh, I recommend people don't put their ballots back in the mail, drop them off at your actual elections office, you know, like the day, a few days before the day of election. Mm -hmm. But just there's this primary. But what's so crazy is most people think the primary is not the important election. It's the general election come right. November yeah. It's a setup for failure. It's a setup to repeat the same pattern over and over. So what happens is that you have a media that is complicit in not really promoting the fact that there's a, a very important primary, especially this is the most important primary in the history of California. And most everyone did not even know there was a primary until they got their ballots in the mail. Yeah. So there's that. Now, my point is this, is that the media, when we were doing the recall last year in California, all you heard about was a recall, recall, recall. You know, Larry Elders, Caitlin Jenner, that's all you heard about. Now we're days away from June 7th and you barely hear about it still. And when you do hear about it, it's reported as, ah, oh, Newsom has no competition. He's a shoo-in. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, he is not a shoo-in. That is, that is absolutely uh, disinformation. In 2018 primary, we had 22 million registered voters. Of them, only 7 million voted. Wow. Out wow. of the 7 million, and during the most popular time in Newsom's history, he received 2.3 million votes. That's it. No. Yeah. 2.3 million votes is what he got. He got him in into the general election. Next was John Cox, a Republican, with 1.7 million. And after that, 1.7 million, the rest of the, the votes were just you know, spread across all the other 26 or 28 candidates. So my point is, is that we thought, we think Newsom's a shoo-in because the way the media reports it, it's not true. He did not get that many votes, even at the height of his popularity. So that's not true. So people think, ah, oh, why bother voting? He's a shoo-in. He's not. This other important thing is how the primaries go. Is that 80%, I was talking about the 80% who agree on 90% of the issues, they generally don't vote until the general election in November. Yeah. They have, are led to believe that that's the important vote. Uh -uh. The die is cast in the primary, but what happens in the primary is those 80 percenters don't vote. And who does? The extreme on the left and right. Yeah. So the extreme on the left and right are actually hitting the ball up at the net, right? They're actually basically making the decision for the other millions of voters. And then here comes the general election. Here come the people in the middle and they're looking at the two candidates. It does not matter party affiliation. You can vote for any party affiliation in California. So they look at the two candidates and are going, this is it. Yeah, these are the yeah. people who are going to represent me. He's like, I don't identify with their policies, and I once again am stuck with having to vote for the lesser of two evil. Why? Because you didn't vote in the general election. And then I have people dance say, Well, the elections yeah. are rigged. Yeah. Maybe they are, but let me tell you something: the the fewer people who vote, the easier it is to rig the election. Yeah. So if you have millions of people, especially unexpected millions of people voting unexpectedly, you're actually monkey wrenching the corrupt system because they can't handle millions of unexpected voters. And that's what I'm saying to everyone out there listening. If you've never voted, if you've never voted in the primary, please vote now like your life depends upon it because it, it does. does. Yeah. Well, one of the aspects of, of primary voting too is that when a person wins the primary because 
most of these uh, districts out there are non-competitive anymore because they've been so gerrymandered that right. the person who wins the primary for, say, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, they're almost the shoe-in at that point. It's theirs to lose, put it that way, in, in at least 80% of the districts out there. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, and they've all been set up by big money, and the media is complicit in promoting them. And, you know, I tell people, like, unfortunately, even now, it's like, you know, don't don't vote left or right. But now it's like you have to even go beyond that because we have a candidate who's getting like thirty thousand dollars a day. He's not getting that from little five dollar, ten dollar donations. He's getting that from big corporate money because yeah. they're like, oh, we can we can now actually infiltrate the decline to state, the no party affiliation. And this person. So you actually have to look under the, the lid and you have to see who's getting the big corporate donations when they're getting the twenty five, the thirty two thousand four hundred limit. Right. Yeah. over and over again. Um, it's a big problem. Um, so you have to actually look at the Secretary of State, look at who's their donors, or you can go to votersedge.org and they have kind of like the top the top contributors and you kind of look there real quickly and you'll see it's big corporate. It's yeah. big, it's the technocrats, it's Silicon Valley. Uh, you look who's endorsing them, the media. Okay, then who owns the media who's endorsing them? You gotta look at that. You gotta look at the boards. You have to look at, um, who these candidates who have been in bed with in business over the last few years, yeah. right? And a lot of them will really twist where, oh, I'm, but I'm only doing this. Yeah, I've made a few hundred thousand from them, but you know, I just, this is just my business. You know, it's like, but but if yeah. you're in bed with them now, are you telling me that you're not going to be in bed with them still when you're elected? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, that doesn't you know, happen. So yeah. It's gotten to a point where you actually have to spend a little bit of time. I think votersedge.org is probably the best, easiest way to go. You can also look on ballotpedia.org yeah. and see a lot of these folks won't even they won't even respond to the answers to the, of the you know, to the questions. Yeah. Um, and some of them are so myopic, they only on their website will like point out a few things because that's kind of like what they're selling and they don't want to go anywhere else because they know that the general public wouldn't agree with them. Yeah. So it takes a bit more discernment and folks are, this is an ultimate crossroads for not just the next four years, but really for society because how California goes, goes, so goes the rest of the country and even the world. And this is, you know, when people are like, what can I do? What can I do? What you can do right now is educate yourself, spend a few hours, look to see who the media is pushing. Look, look who's in the Google ads. Cause like right now, until recently, I have not been allowed as a political candidate to have any Google ads. Really? They have, they have literally been dragging their feet, making excuses for months. Hmm. So I can't get out there. Same thing with Instagram, same thing with Facebook. Just now, this last week, we've actually broken through the chains and can now promote to this campaign. Wow. The technocrats have literally held this campaign back while throttling the other campaign. So you have to see who has the Google ads, who's been doing all the Facebook ads for so long, right? Um, you know, who's who's on the top of the first page or so in those in, in your searches. Yeah. These are the ones who the big money is putting forward for you to vote on. So you are guaranteed more of the same. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Another organization to look at is OpenSecrets.org. I don't know if you mentioned them or not. Yeah, but that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, they have yeah. a lot of uh, they, they gather together a lot of the money uh, or not money, but the um records on the money that's been right. filed with the that's FEC right. and yeah, so on. Fantastic. So, yeah, it's yeah. a really good site. So, um, so follow the money. You know, that's really what you have to do. If you want to know who your candidates really are and who they're serving, you now have to follow the money. It's going to take a little bit more discernment. But, you know, look at it's going to spend you a few hours, maybe a day. But, you know, what do you get in return? You get your future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the alternative is you don't have a future. So, yes, right. it's certainly worth spending a day, right. of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
There's one other issue I want to bring up. It's it's kind of a sensitive issue these days. Uh, you 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 touched on it lightly about religion and race, and the and and in your website you say race and religion should rightfully be respected. But what do you do about this this recent rising tide of of uh, I would call it Christofascism, which is based on this thing called the, the Great Replacement Theory, and this is this is driving a lot of uh, extremists out there in the United States. We, we saw that uh, the uh, massacre at the grocery store in Buffalo recently. And this, uh, this theory seems to be, it, it started in France, actually, but it's, 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 taken, it's taken on fire in the U.S., this, this thing called Great Replacement Theory. And this is based on racism and, and bigotry, but it's, um, it's getting out of control in this country. What, what, um, is there anything that you know, a governor of California it, could do about this? Anything, this, this is my rule of thumb these days. Anything that is being proposed as a solution but creates more of a divide and wedge is not a solution mm-hmm. and should be abandoned. That, come, that even goes to the CRT. I have a lot of people talking about the CRT. I'm like, look, at, I'm not saying that there's not racism throughout California and the United States. There is. There's definitely racism. Um, myself as a, a, a candidate, I'm in a relationship with a, you know, a woman, Susan, for 14 years. The homophobia, mm-hmm. the attacks that I am having to deal with every single day is outrageous. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm equated with murderers and liars and thieves. It's like, oh, okay. You know, it's horrific. But so my point is this, is that even with the CRT, we, do we need to address racism yet? But has, have we gotten better over the, the dec- decades and the generations? Yes, we have. Is it 100%? Are we there yet? No, we're not at all. Mm-hmm. And so what I say, though, is that the CRT is not to me the issue. The, the CRT is not the mechanism we should be using. It's, the, it's not the vehicle, because once again, you're not addressing the issue, but what you are doing is creating a larger divide. Right. And, and I have to question out those things that are there as a solution, but make matters worse. It's called Javon's paradox, right? Make matters worse by trying to make them better. Mm-hmm. So I don't support CRT, not because I don't think racism is an issue. Yeah, there's still pockets of racism. There's still pockets of homophobia. I deal with it. But again, we have to redirect our focus. And I'm going to go back. That simple little law, that rule I'm talking about is the seven generation principle. How do we address these issues in such a way where we think about our children's children and we make decisions based upon that? Like how best can we serve our children? How can we make sure that they're not afraid of of race? They're not afraid of being replaced. I mean, like when you look through that lens, how else would you and how differently would you make decisions? How differently would you lead? And when I see anything like the great replacement theory or even CRT, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. Uh uh-uh, it furthers the divide. We can do better than that. Mm -hmm. And not that we don't have issues. We have issues, we'll always have issues. We'll always have corruption. We'll always have, um, you know, um, uh, racism. And I mean, it's just probably gonna be there for quite some time. It's gonna have pockets, but we can do better. But we have to look at the methodology we are using and ask ourselves, is that making matters better or worse? If it's making it worse, then abandon it. Come at it from a different direction. That goes with the CRT and the the critical race theory, or or, sorry, the. um, what, the, what you call again, the theory. Uh, replacement theory. Yeah. It's like, this is not helping anyone. This is just furthering divide. And, yeah. and you know, we get played a lot in society. The, you know, the system knows how to play us. It knows how to, how to pull our strings, how to pull our emotions, how to get us into rage and anger yeah. and hatred. It, it has us dialed. And I ask people, stop playing on that, that game board. Remove yourself from the game board and play a different game. Come at it differently. Different set of goals, rules, and principles and standards. And, 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 um, you know, don't, don't play as long as you continue to play on that game board, you're going to be played Yeah. right They're the ones that set the rules. So, um, I don't support any of it. Okay. 
Good. Yeah, rage politics is uh, something that's that seems to be very popular because um, you know it's always easy to get somebody angry. It's it's. Uh, it, it is. And, and it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an addiction. It's like, yeah, it's alcoholism. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, your brain gets addicted to the rage, the stress, the anxiety. I mean, there's studies on this. And so people have to look for the next rage. Yeah. It's, it's like they, they have to feed off of it. And it's, it's been set up in generations now. It's set up in the ma- in making it's the food we eat, the social media, the television we watch. It's, it's the culture and society. It's the video games, right? I mean, we, we have been set up to be enraged and I, I'm too, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I come from a family of fighters. I know how to get out, you know, enraged and outraged and be a fighter, but I also know that, you know, pick your battles and don't get played. And we have to start asking ourselves, when we start getting into that fury, we have to start looking around and saying, what's, what's pulling me into that? What's mm-hmm. yanking that chain and look at it and start looking behind it. Like what's behind it. Start asking questions. Right. Why is that yanking my chain? What's there? Yeah. And um, and be discerning, really be discerning. Question your reality. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the telltale signs for me is, OK, how long has this been an issue? Because sometimes you'll see things that'll that'll that um, I think the Republicans are most guilty of it. But I think the Democrats are also somewhat guilty of it where they will just invent issues. And yeah. that becomes the talking point that everybody talks about for like, you know, a week until the next big issue and the next big rage comes right. along. But boy, right. boy, I tell you, people just get, I, I would, I just get tired of it myself. And I, I see it coming up and like, okay, this week it's again? going to be, you know, X, Y, Z. Well, and again, you know, keep your eye on the ball. So yeah. this is the other thing is if you, you really, you keep, when, when I, when this kind of stuff happens, like my staff will be walloped by something or they'll be blindsided from something. I'm like, Hey, Keep your eye on the ball. Don't let them sidetrack you. That's part of the tactic is to suck up your energy and time and draw your attention onto this rather than keeping your eye on the ball. What's our ball? The seventh generation principle. How can we ensure that we have a a government that's, you know, being constitutional, right? And also, by the way, respecting the treaties that have never been respected by the indigenous peoples, things like that. How can we ensure that we have our food and our, our, our farmland and our water and our clean air for generations to come? How can we ensure that big money and big corporations have not infiltrated government and we have actually represented government that's transparent these are all the things that serves the seven generation so yeah. if we can actually have leadership that continues to pull us back into alignment of like look hey don't get sidelined by this keep your eye on the ball what's the ball what's the shore the seventh generation principle then you can weather any storm and right now we have never we have not had that kind of leadership for a long long time that kind of leadership has been assassinated and has essentially never been allowed to rise ever since the jfks and the mlks um, because the system knows how to derail these individuals, either to literally take them out physically or to derail their reputations and do character assassination. Yeah. And so I go back to folks, you're never going to have the MLKs or the JFKs again. The system for right now, for right now, will not allow that. So we have to be the leader. We have to set the standard. And we and we are that we outpower them, right? We overnumber, we outpower them and outnumber them. So that's where real leadership is going to rise is through the numbers, through the masses. And again, how do we do that? We rise in unison by focusing on the same shore, the same goal. And then it becomes a numbers game. There's not one, there's not two, there's not five leaders, there's hundreds of millions of leader leaders heading in the same direction. Wow. I love the way you put that too. And and I would just uh, tell every listener out there that to get more information on the uh, uh, the seventh generation concept, you have a uh, contract with Californians on your website there. It's a PDF that you download. I think it's about 20 or 22 pages or something like that. Uh, very good explanation of that concept as well as how it gets applied to various different parts of our society. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And I'd like to say, Dan, that there is a second iteration. I've been working on it for weeks and weeks and weeks, according to the collective genius that I've been tapping into up and down the state of California. And that was actually designed in uh, October of 2020. So it's come a long way. I'm hoping I'm hoping to get the second iteration up there because it's so much better refined. It's been so much more enhanced. It's so much more brilliant and shines so much brighter. Um, so, But just know that if you read that, um, that'll give you an idea and that I, I, you know, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. So I say to people like, I have some ideas, but if I allow the collective genius to murmur and, you know, and, and to kind of like percolate, uh, it, you know, my best ideas will super, be superseded by the collective genius. So I've always been into like coming up with a concept but then letting the public actually massage it and make it even better. So that is the second iteration, but the one that's online right now will give you a pretty good idea of just who I am as a human being and, and how I show up. Yeah, it's a pretty good read. I really enjoyed it. I, um, yes, I recommend people download it. And um, when the second iteration comes out, I'm sure it'll be a lot better. Um, we're pretty much out of time right now, but I just have one final question for you is, uh, where can people go to learn more about you and your campaign for governor of California? Uh, well, that would be elect Renette. So of course it's E L E C T elect. And then Renette is R E I N E T T E R E I N E T T E. It is French Renette, electrenet.com. Um, yeah, go in there, check it out. You can see my service I've been doing for over 20 years, basically all volunteer, um, you can see some videos I've done, some of my issues. Um, know that I'm an open book. Um, I'm happy to talk about anything. Uh, I believe I believe in solutions. I believe in um, the, the collective genius that everybody has a piece of the solution, an important perspective, and uh, you know, and that we can do better. And and I'm here to serve in a way that's never been um, taken place before. And so, and I just thank you, Dan, for for the opportunity and let people know that yes. We do not have any big corporate money behind us. Yes, we, we can and do need donations. Every dollar counts and that we're doing a lot with very little and that nobody owns me. I'm a, I'm a sovereign being and I'm, I'm making a decision in, in decisions based upon uh, that seven generation principle. Perfect. And that's electronet.com. Uh, we've been talking with Renette Senum, adventurist, community organizer, two-time mayor and candidate for California governor. Renette, thank you very much for joining us on the program at Democracy on the Move today, and good luck in your campaign. Thank you, Dan. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week. <music>